Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Well, I hope you're feeling a little bit more like titanium as we've journeyed through the series over the course of the summer. Titanium, of course, is an element that is known for its strength and its ability to resist corrosion. So we're in the last week, and I hope your life feels more spiritually bulletproof as we've gone through this series, because that'll enable you to live a courageous life, a confident life, a bold life in the midst of all the stuff going on in life, as you know you're equipped with the armor of God. So this week, we're in a deal, as Pastor Matt mentioned, with the last element of the armor and the only offensive weapon that Paul mentions. So I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 17. Let's read the portion of the scripture that this whole series has been based on. Paul says this, a final word, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against the rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil and you'll be able to stand firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, Put on the peace that comes from God, from the good news, so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet. And then he says this, and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, Paul is using, of course, military language and imagery here because he wants to jar those first century believers as well as us today to remind us that we're engaged in a battle. And much of the passage is dedicated to the defensive elements of our battle kit. And of course, Pastor Keith and Pastor Matt and my good friend, Pastor Patty Miller from Montreal did such a great job of helping to equip us to put on the defensive armor. Have you noticed each week we've had a little equipping prayer at the end of each gathering? Well, listen, in the chat room right now, there's going to be a link, or you can go to onechurchto slash titanium, and you can download every one of the prayers, including the prayer we'll end our gathering with today. What a, there's seven of them, and you could take one into every day of the week and just use that prayer to help equip you as you walk through life together. So make sure you grab those prayers in one PDF form, all of the prayers from the entire series. Now, Paul focuses on the one offensive weapon. Here's what he says in verse 17. He says this, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now this word, word, is 
plural here. It's plural. And Paul wants us to think of the sword as not a singular weapon, but plural in nature. He wants to see us seeing it together. You see, the idea behind this is the imagery for Ephesians chapter 6 comes, many scholars believe, from the book of Isaiah. All of the same imagery you see that Paul uses is mirrored in the book of Isaiah, hundreds of years before Paul. And then specifically with the sword of the Spirit, Isaiah chapter 11 has this image of a Messiah that's coming with a sword coming out of his mouth, and he's wielding that sword against evil in this world. And then if you go to the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation, the Messiah is returning on horseback, and it's again with a sword that is coming out of his mouth, and he's wielding it against the powers of darkness. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, we're called to pick up the sword of the Spirit and wield it in the face of evil in this world. But what does it mean? Well, looking at all of the armory, remember, these are all the defensive elements we have. There's lots of things that Paul says to equip yourself with in order to protect yourself. And then he gives you one offensive piece of armor. Now, you be, remember, Paul wants you to see it not just as a singular sword, but he wants you to see it in the plural. Because when he says that the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, that word, that word for word is plural in nature. So he's saying to those first century Christians, don't see it as one sword. See it as an armory of swords that you can pull on depending on the context and the moment that you can have the right sword for the right situation. It's kind of like this. If, if you're struggling with money, you can open up your armory and you can find many passages, many swords that it can equip you to deal with money in this world. It can help you with truth and truth will set you free. It can help you to understand the economy of this world and how it works. But, but that's the truth that sets us free. So you go looking for a sword. You might be wrestling with justice and mercy in this life. How do you do it well in this world right now? Well, again, you open up your armory and there's many swords, many passages that speak to it. Now, Paul uses a very unique word for the word sword. It's translated, remember the New Testament is written in Greek. And the Greek word that Paul uses, he could have used many words to describe swords, but he uses makara. And makara was a Roman short sword. It was no longer than 19 inches long. Every Roman soldier carried a makara. It, it's kind of like this bayonet. This bayonet is uh, a bayonet from Argentina. And what am I doing with the bayonet? Well, I have lots of bayonets in my basement. My, my two boys collected them for years. And they collected this one from Argentina because their grandfather was from La Plata, Argentina. And they kind of like the connection with their great-grandfather, sorry. They love the connection to, you know, the history, the family history. And they got, they got this uh, a bayonet. Now, this is about one inch longer than what the Makaira would have been. A Makaira was light. It was easy to wield. And you could do it easily by even, even by carrying a shield in one arm. It was easy to wield and use, but it was a short sword. And there's intentionality around why Paul chooses this sword 
in particular in, for this passage. So I want to give you some principles for wielding the sword of the Spirit, and then I'm going to show you how to use it. So you may want to take some notes today. It might be helpful. And remember, at the end of our uh, gathering time, we're going to have some Q&A together. So the first thing you need to understand is I've, I'm going to use the word RIP, and just as an acronym to help you understand how to use the sword of the Spirit and some principles around it. And the first principle is simply this, respect, respect. If you're training someone to use any sort of weapon, if you're a trainer worth your salt, you would try to instill into your students or your pupils a healthy sense of respect for how powerful a weapon is and how much potential harm a weapon could do. You see, friends, it's the sword of the Spirit. It's not your sword. It's the sword of the Spirit. In other words, the sword of the Spirit is connected to the Spirit of God. And this is really good news, really good news for us. See, when in life we're battling evil, whether it's intimately in our own lives, maybe we're struggling with people that are being used by the enemy or anything like that, there's just activity in our life and you begin to sense the fingerprints of, 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 of evil among it, or it's macro evil in this world. It can be quite overwhelming and all of those things lead to death. They all lead to brokenness. But here's the thing. The Bible says that the Spirit of God has raised Jesus from the dead. And the sword of the Spirit is connected to the Spirit of God. And as a follower of Jesus, his Spirit is inside of you. And this is good news, friends, because whenever we swing the sword of the Spirit, whenever we step out, we're stepping out. And we, I love how God's Spirit brings life to dead things. So you never want to get into a battle with death without having a weapon that's already beaten death. And the Spirit of God has defeated death when he raised Jesus from the dead. We need a healthy respect for God's word, which is the sword of the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, which is God's word. Now, I'm, I'm sure I'm listening to, you're listening to me right now, and many of you are saying, listen, Jonathan, I respect God's word. You know, I, I, I'm careful with it. I never put it on the ground. And that was a lot of the kind of a different idea and different era of what respect looked like. I think all of us have difficulty respecting God's word. And you might even be offended by that, but just stay open for a minute. <laughs> How many of us ignore God's word? That's disrespectful. Isn't it disrespectful to walk in the room and just ignore someone? It's very disrespectful. Some of us ignore God's word we, we do it when we don't love everyone always. Scripture calls us to love everyone always. Some of us really have difficulty, and we want to ignore that portion of Scripture because these people justifiably don't deserve that type of respect or love. Or, or, or we don't forgive freely. And Scripture calls us to, the sword of the Spirit calls us to forgive freely. And, and, or we gossip and we're trying to manipulate things or, or whatever it might be. We go to a different space and place and ignore the truth of Scripture. That's one way we can be disrespectful towards Scripture. Another way we can be disrespectful is we can twist it. And I think the church in North America has been struggling for some time, largely because we've allowed, whether it's political parties or other ideologies, to kind of 
twist scripture to fit their ideology. And you need to know this, friends. You know this if you're a part of One Church Deal. Jesus wouldn't be holding membership in some political party. I mean, neither party, all the parties didn't like him. Why? Because he was of a different world. And I don't mean if you, you've got political alignment. I'm not trying to take a run at you with that in that regard. All I'm saying is this, is that Scripture stands outside of our political ideologies of this world or anything. And be careful, when we twist Scripture to fit something or make something work for us, that's disrespectful to Scripture. And another way we can be disrespectful towards Scripture is to underestimate its power. It's powerful, friends. In fact, the same prophet Isaiah said this in Isaiah 55 verse 11, And he's speaking of the words of God. God is saying this through the prophet. So will the words that come out of my mouth not come back empty-handed? That God's words will never come back empty-handed. They'll do the work I sent them to do. They'll come, they'll complete the assignment I gave them. There's power in God's word. And maybe that part of respecting it is to have a healthy fear of God, which is not to be afraid of God, but such respect for the person of God who's come nearer, who calls us friend. But we begin to, we begin to resist evil and embrace righteousness. And there's a respect of the word of God that helps us to wield the sword. There's a second Now, the I in it is we need to understand that we're in intimate proximity in the battle. So it's a short sword. So the Roman Makara sword was used mostly for stabbing. You had to be close to your opponent. You had to be very close. Anytime a Roman soldier pulled out his Makara, he knew it was going to be a long day. It was going to be dirty, it was going to be bloody, and it was going to be hand-to-hand combat. You needed to be agile, and you needed to be in shape to use a makara. Uh, Paul could have used the long sword, which would have kept your distance from the battle. You know, you would have been able to have an eloquent distance, a pristine distance from getting too dirty or too close to the battle. But that's not what Paul, Paul picks the makara for a purpose. We need to understand that every battle we're in has a pocket. We all can find ourselves in the pocket of the battle. And most of us, we don't want to be in the pocket. I've been married, as of yesterday, I've been married 28 years to my wife, Shelly. And I don't know if she's watching this morning. I know she's working a 12-hour shift today, but I I love that woman. But I I know this, and she would say the same. We know how to fight. (laughs) We have had our, we are very different people from each other. Uh, We can, even to this day, we can disagree about things. Many marriages aren't healthy because someone won't stay in the pocket. In a conflict, you got to stay in the pocket and stay engaged. Conflict doesn't feel good. In every marriage, there can be an avoider, someone who wants to just avoid it, and there could be someone who's anxious. And the anxious person is constantly coming at the person who wants to avoid the conversation because they want to resolve it. And then finally, the anxious person gets, uh, you know, uh, they, you know they, they're done. They're done. I'm just done with this. I'm always chasing you to resolve it. And then the pressure is off the avoider, and the avoider comes back to the anxious person, starts the cycle all over again. <laughs> uh, staying in the pocket is the way we resolve things. It's in the uncomfortable spaces that some really good things grow and some things get resolved. 
And so it is with Paul. He's talking about when we wield the sword of the Spirit, it means that we're in close proximity to evil. We're in close proximity to a problem, to something very broken, difficult, or hard. See, he's trying to let us know it'll cost you to do battle in this world. It costs a church to stand up against the systemic evil that is at work in this world. Why? Because, because people don't, people, you know, people may characterize you as being this or that or something. It can cost you as an individual to stand up against evil at work or to stand up against evil in your friendships or anything else. It can always cost us to stand in the gap. But Paul would have you know, be courageous though. Because as 1 John 4 verse 4 says that greater is he that is in you, God's spirit that is in you, than any spirit at work in this world. See, we need to understand it takes courage to wield the sword of the spirit because it means you're in the pocket. It means you're in the battle. It means you're engaging the adversary. And here's what you need to understand about courage. Courage is not moving forward without fear. That's not, you know, sometimes we think they, that could be just somebody who's not aware of how, how difficult or dangerous their situation is. Courage is moving forward when your knees are shaking. When your knees are shaking, but you keep walking, you stay in the pocket. You stay in the pocket and you start swinging the sword of the Spirit. So we need a healthy respect for the sword of the Spirit. We need to understand that it requires intimate proximity with brokenness in this world in order to use the sword of the Spirit. And then finally, it requires practice. Practice. Training. See, if you're going to fight in close quarters with an enemy back in Paul's days, you had to be in shape, you had to be agile, and the only way you could be in season and in shape was to practice. It was to train. You didn't want to get into battle and never have used this and all of a sudden pull it out and try to use it. At best, you're going to be ineffective. You're not going to know how to use it. I wonder how many Christians find themselves in the middle of a battle, a difficult moment, evil all around them. And they're so unfamiliar with this because they haven't practiced and trained with God's word that they're not sure how to pull it out. They, they'll look in their armory and they're not even sure where to go because they're not sure what to use. So there's a sense of, of practicing and pulling it out and being ready in season and out of season because at best, you could be ineffective. At worst, it could be used against you. Do you remember when Jesus goes out into the desert and the enemy comes and tempts him and the enemy is quoting scripture to him? He's twisting scripture, scripture and using it against Jesus. But Jesus is so steeped, so seasoned in God's word that, that he's able to use the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, to repel the efforts of the enemy. Now, why is this important for us to understand? Because this is the only part of your spiritual armor that requires willpower. The rest of your armor, when you put it on, you know, the, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, whatever it is, uh, you, you don't make the helmet, you don't try to make the helmet a better helmet or the belt of truth a better belt of truth. No, it is what it is. It is what it is. But this requires willpower to pick up God's word, to train yourself in it, to learn how to use it. It requires Willpower. Willpower is part of it. It reminded me of a quote uh, by the U.S. Navy SEALs, which was, we don't rise to the level of our expectations, we fall to the level of our training. 
And let's be honest, because I, I can be honest with you too. I've been here. I've been in the middle of, maybe it was a, a, a spiritual battle. Maybe it was a complicated uh, battle. And I, I, you can sense the enemy at work and stirring things as all a part of it. And I can have a high level of expectation, but I'll always fall to the level of my training. And it's understanding as we train ourselves on God's word, we pick up the sword of the spirit, we wield the sword of the spirit, and we begin to find freedom. Now, how do we use it? How do we use God's word? Well, let's go back to our verse in verse 17 of chapter six, when Paul says, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Remember, this is plural, but this is also an interesting word he chooses. In the New Testament, the word of God was either logos or rhema were the Greek words that were used to translate word of God. Paul chooses the word rhema here, which means spoken, or it means utterance. It's something that comes out of your mouth. And this aligns with all the imagery from Isaiah chapter 11 in the last part of the Bible of the Messiah returning. In the last part of the Bible, he's riding back on a horse and a, and a sword is coming out of his mouth and he's, he's slaying all that is evil. Well, there's the imagery is tied in here. It's what comes out of our mouth. In other words, Paul is saying, it's not so much something that is physically written down on paper. Remember, Paul, during this time, they didn't have a Bible, a collection of 66 ancient pieces of literature all in one place. He's saying that the sword of the Spirit is activated as it comes out of your mouth. It has to be spoken. It has to be spoken. The sword of the Spirit is wielded as we speak God's Word. As we speak God's Word, it becomes alive. You've heard that old expression, Words have power, do they not? You know, I have a, I've done a lot of different scores and testings and personality things. I'm sure you've done the same thing. And I have a very high literary uh, score. And what it means is I remember, I remember almost everything someone has said to me. And sometimes that's good news and sometimes that's not good news, right? Because I, that words have power. As Pastor Matt was reflecting on the Olympics, uh, you know, I was just enjoying uh, the Canadian women winning the soccer tournament. That was incredible, the gold medal. How about uh, Andre de Grasse? Wow, gold in the 200 uh, and bronze in the 4 by 100. His last leg was amazing. How about all the Canadian swimmers? Amazing. But one of the talks of the Olympic was this gymnast, Simone Biles. And she's a U.S. gymnast. She's the GOAT. And some people, uh, I joked about Pastor Keith being the goat a few weeks ago, and somebody didn't understand what I meant by goat. Goat just means greatest of all time. It's an acronym. And she's easily the greatest gymnast of all time, the most decorated gymnast of all time. But she became the talk of the Olympics, less for her performance this time, more for the fact that she withdrew from some events, citing just her mental health. And she prioritized her mental health on that moment. Many athletes, this has started a conversation. And this has really been healthy because if you struggle with anxiety or depression or emotional or mental health in any way, one of the best things you can do is talk about it. It's to talk to somebody about what you're going through because the moment you begin to put words to what you're struggling with, that thing you're struggling with begins to lose some of its power over you. See, words have power. Words of power. Words can uh, disarm us. Words can also be vehicles for truth. Words are very, very powerful. Very powerful. 
So the sword of the Spirit, if you're going to use it, it has to come into your mouth. It needs to be spoken. It's not just sitting on your bookshelf as some sort of good luck charm. It's not an app on your phone that you never open because it's sitting next to Instagram and that's all you open. I'm speaking to myself right now. Now, this doesn't mean as a Christian you're walking around Toronto and, you know, somebody's asking you a question and you're saying, Colossians 2, and you quote the whole book of Colossians. That's not the idea. That's weird. Don't do that. Don't do those kind of things. What it means is that you've been so seasoned, so steeped in God's word, that it has affected your heart and mind, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, and in turn, it's affected the words that come out of your mouth. Because out of our mouths comes the abundance of our hearts. It's our minds. It's the way we see. We're conformed to Scripture, conformed to the kingdom of God, and affects the affections of our heart. And then when we speak, those words come from that place. And we immerse ourselves in the wisdom of Scripture, the, the truth of Scripture, and the hope of Scripture. See, it's truth that sets free. It's, it's wisdom that is applied knowledge that Scripture has that, that we get to be immersed in. It's the hope that we always have hope. No matter how dark it is, we always have this hope, and it comes from Scripture. This is a powerful narrative that comes from Scripture, and it gets released as we talk about it, as we share it, as we speak it. The intake of Scripture is so much that we are seasoned. We are in shape. And it is affecting our speech, and it's affecting our activities in this life. So then when we speak God's word, it's in a gentle yet powerful way. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the, the, the idea behind Ephesians chapter 6. It's not just about inspiring you to live a bulletproof life, because the context has to do with community. Every time in Ephesians chapter 6 where you see the word you and Paul saying you, 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 that's a plural word. In other words, it's not you as an individual standing firm in your own strength, in your own way, his or her by himself, battling through life. No, we collectively stand firm. We collectively stand firm. We are collectively seasoned together. It's the truth, it's wisdom, and it's hope that we're immersing ourselves in, and that is shaping our voice to the city. Collectively, we see real power in our messaging to the city as we are steeped in Scripture together as a community. That's why gathering moments are so important. We're hundreds of families and thousands of individuals. We can immerse ourselves in God's truth together, collectively enjoying His truth that sets us free, collectively being educated in his wisdom and collectively gathering hope, not just for this moment, but for for our forever moment. And together we develop our voice. So One Church TO's voice is, is expressed through something like Love Army as we do good in this world, unignorable acts of good. Our, our, our voice is shaped through our vision to help people know God, love people, and impact our city. Our voice, our personality is shaped as we immerse ourselves in the teaching of Scripture, of mercy and justice, and what that looks like in this life. As we meditate on Scripture together, we're changed, and our voice collectively allows us to stand firm. And there's power in this, friends. 
You see, the power as scripture understands it, it's not a political power, it's not a democratic power. It's a power that's rooted in the kingdom of God. And we're to swing the sword of the spirit in a way that represents the fruit of the spirit. You know, a moment of honesty. Um, I, I don't like a lot of the songs and things that sometimes are sung in churches that talk about fighting. Uh, and I'll tell you why, because I think there's been a lot of things done in the name of Jesus, violence in this world, horrific things, and that militant language sounds so counter-cultural, counter what the church should posture itself as. And why I think Paul is able to, and he's pulling it in because he wants us to understand that in the pocket of the battle, it's dirty, it's bloody, it's not easy, but he wants us to understand that all of the activities of the sword of the spirit being swung should produce greater love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. It's the fruit of the spirit that marks us as being people of the spirit. And then when we swing the sword of the spirit, it's cutting against what is evil in this world. And it's not just evil at an individual level. In verse 12, it says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual authorities and powers in this dark world. And commentators and scholars would help us to understand it's, it's not just some can't see spiritual world. We can see the activities of the spiritual world at work in this world. In the mass shootings that we see in culture and society, in the sex trafficking, in the systemic racism and poverty and sexism and all those things, that's evil at work on a macro scale. Too big for a government or a police force by themselves to, to neutralize something like that. No, no, no. That type of evil needs to come up against something so good so unignorably good. And it's the community of the body of believers that we stand in the pocket. See, the church is called to the world. We're not called to isolate. We're called to infiltrate. We're called to love this world. The church is called to, to put things right on a grand scale as we see evil and atrocity done to others. And sometimes historically, the church has contributed to that, but not, not, not the true people of the way because we would, we're people of peace. We bring shalom where we go. The church is called to stand firm in the face of faceless evil. The church is called to march forward, to not lean back, but to keep marching forward. This is so important because Paul would have us understand evil is unstoppable. In your own intellect, in your own power, in your own standing firm, evil is unstoppable. But collectively, that God has given the church a sword. We have defense, and some of us love the armor of defense, but listen, the enemy is not going to stop uh, attacking. The enemy's not going to stop perpetrating evil in this world uh, as long as we just use the defensive elements. No, we got to stand in the pocket, trusting in God's protection, but we also have to wield the sword of the Spirit. And remember, it doesn't matter how beautiful a sword is or how well made it is if we don't pick it up and we don't use it. So God's Word is a gift to us. Here is 66 books of ancient document literatures that describe who God is and how he relates to his people. And in it, you see the way of his kingdom. And that way leads to freedom 
And we are people that are about freedom in this world. So I want to lead you in the last equipping prayer, and we're going to go into a time of Q&A. It's going to come up on your screen, but would you declare this last prayer together as a community? Let's pray this over us. Let's pray this to God together collectively. Join me in saying, Father in heaven, thank you for sending us your son, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for leaving your spirit to be with us. Spirit, thank you for not abandoning us but working deeply inside of us to transform us to be like Jesus. Today, we as a community of believers choose to wield the sword of the Spirit to demolish strongholds, evil powers, and oppressive powers. Spirit, help us to wield this sword with love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, and self-control. In the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.